Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander. Hi everyone, yours truly, William Eric Alexander, all my friends call me Bill, and welcome to Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also on italknet.com. Hope everything's going fine for you on this wonderful day. Whatever day you may be listening, it's always wonderful, right? Anyhow, tonight we have a guest, or this afternoon or this morning, we have a guest who is an actress who is from the UK, but she is now based in New York. And um, let me read a little bit about her uh, to you. It's Brooklyn-based, in love with New York, and still hanging on to the accent and a few Britishisms of my native London. When I'm not in the rehearsal room or on stage or in the booth, I can be found wandering through Prospect Park, reading feminist literature on the subway, or singing my heart out at Marie's Crisis with wine in hand. And she is the daughter of two non-British journalists. I seem to have inherited the assertiveness, inquisitiveness, and feistiness qualities of their industry, all of which I carry with pride. I am a fluent French speaker with a native accent. Unfortunately, my Hungarian is significantly less advanced, but if you're looking for someone that can count to 20, make very minimal small talk with, or swear with a flawless Hungarian accent, you've come to the right place. On the phone line right now, we have Anna Frankel. Duval. How are you doing, Anna? Hey, I'm doing well, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing real good. Glad to have you on the program tonight. And um, I, I, I really enjoy talking to people that are are performers. The reason is, is because they just have a different um, vantage point on life. They just see things a little bit differently because you're involved in the arts and you're involved in the whole entertainment field. Now, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I know quite a few performers that do just look at the world a little bit differently. And 
when you came from London to New York, how big of a transition was it? Well, that's the funny thing is I, I didn't think about how big of a difference it was going to be. I was 19 and I had a place at drama school and I kind of thought, you know, I come from a place that's a big city where they speak English. I'm going to another place that's a big city that speaks English. I'll probably be fine. And so it was quite a big culture shock to realize, you know, there's, there's vast amounts of, uh, you know, childhood culture and just references that I don't know and learning a new city. I'd never had to do that. So I, I didn't really prepare myself very well. So it could have probably been less of a shock um, had I done a little bit more forward planning. But I kind of just got a great opportunity to go to a drama school here and jumped at it, which which was a great, it was a kind of quick learning curve, but it was a lot of fun. Now, with your parents being journalists, um, were they working uh, just in London or were they working worldwide? Worldwide. So my mum was a radio journalist. She worked for BBC, NPR, um, the World Service, and, and reported all over. And my dad worked for, well, they met at the BBC, and he was a French, Swiss, and Belgian TV correspondent. He was a London correspondent for those various places. So were you, um, did, when they traveled, did you travel with them? Um, no, not for work, usually. Usually for work, one of them would stay at home and be working on a project at home while the other one was traveling. And um, we traveled a lot just kind of to adventure and see the world. But, but for work, some of the places they went were not always uh, conducive to having young children with them. Okay. I was just curious about that. Now, um, before coming to New York and living in New York and going to drama school, were you in the United States before? I'd visited before. I never, I had never lived here. I have some family over in California. So I, I had the pleasure of visiting them and seen a few other places, been to Massachusetts, been to Vermont, um, but not for, any, not for any longer than three weeks. Now, what is the one thing that you find odd in the United States compared to London? One thing. There, there are a few. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure there are, but... Some, some of them great. Okay. But um, what, what do I find odd? I guess some of those cultural references that I'll just never get that mean a lot to people. Like what? Um, or that I ah, I, mean, I didn't grow up with Mister Rogers. I, I didn't. I don't know who Pee Wee Herman is, even after twelve years in the country. Um, you know, just silly things like that. How do or, you wait? Uh, wait, wait. How do you not know who Mister Rogers is? No, I know who he. I know who he is, kind of. Um, and I saw, I saw the documentary, and I still cried. But um, he doesn't carry the same weight for me. I didn't realize I would miss things from the UK. And then something weird, like a reference to the Chuckle Brothers, who I guess is our version of maybe Pee Wee Herman. Okay, I get Like, will feel very nostalgic. Because with Fred Rogers, I am sitting 45 minutes southeast of where he grew up. Because I'm based just outside of the city of Pittsburgh. So I'm very familiar with Fred Rogers and his whole his whole career. If you'd ever like me to explain it to you, I'll be more than happy to do it. Um, oh, but, I would love that. But I guess, I guess the whole idea would be uh, you, you have a different frame of reference when it comes to entertainment. And then the whole idea of coming to the United States where we have a different frame of reference. And I guess some of that does cross over eventually but not as much yeah. as we would assume. And that's what I think is very interesting. Pee Wee Herman in the 80s and 90s, he was everywhere. But again, you said you had no idea who he was. 
And I find that very no, interesting. I, I mean, I have, I, there was a lot of American culture that came over. And so I grew up like watching Sister Sister or Hang Time. Like there were other things that did cross over. Friends was massive in my household. Right, okay. Uh, there were other things. But um, I also guess being the child of two foreigners, my mum was a refugee and my father, he's half Scottish, half French, but grew up in France and immigrant. Okay. Um, I also didn't feel kind of embedded in British culture. So it's this weird kind of being just outside of various cultures, um, which is quite an odd experience. And so I grow up sounding very British and with some very British tendencies, I guess, but with a home that wasn't very British at all. I recently spoke to my father, who was completely shocked that I knew British nursery rhymes. He didn't know where I learned them. Okay. Because he hadn't taught, you know, he didn't grow up with them. He hadn't taught them to me. So it's, you know, there was that, but actually probably the biggest and most pleasant kind of difference I found coming here was you guys are great with expressing emotion. You are great. <laughs> and and people, but it's such a relief. The the Brits are great with the dry, keeping it kind of locked inside or yes. expressing themselves with self-deprecating humor. And I, there's a place for that and I appreciate it. But I think I, I was too uh, locked into that. So getting the chance to come here, especially in a drama school where it's all about feelings, you know, you get to come here and really kind of unlock that and learn how to express those things. That was such a pleasant thing. I don't know. I think it shaped me a lot as a person, and I don't know who I'd be if I hadn't moved over here specifically in that way. Now, the, the, before we, we before we started doing this, I asked you off air about the accent, which there's some pieces mm-hmm. that you have online where you have lost the British accent totally. When you came over here and went into your, your your acting classes and your voice classes, did you have people trying to imitate your accent and not able to do it? Because first, I wish it had stopped then. It still oh, happens I, every day now. See, I can imagine that because we're fascinated with the British accent. I mean, I think we're even more fascinated now because of Meghan Markle and marrying into the yeah. royal family and then leaving the royal family to go to Canada. But I... I, I think we're just fascinated in it, and I that would have that would annoy the heck out of me that people were trying to imitate my accent. And I mean, I'm from Western Pennsylvania, and I know I have one, <laughs> and you can't imitate it. It's it's honestly so annoying. It <laughs> all the time, all the time, um, and sometimes people don't realize that they're doing it. You're right. Which is. Is really funny. And also, there's some weird assumption that a lot of people make that they hear my accent and they assume that I must have just arrived. Uh, and so they'll, so either, either, you know, it's like very basic questions or explanations about living here. And I'm like, it has been over a decade. I'm set for my understanding of New York and, and you know, a lot of the states. So thank you for that. But the, the imitation, and, and people don't necessarily mean badly. No, but no. there are 160 different British dialects. Okay, and so unless people are really well trained, their version of imitation is just like <laughs> annoying, borderline well, insulting, and also just like incorrect. Right, <laughs> and that that's the fun part. Now, when you were were you taking these classes? Um, Again, if you were taking vocal and stuff like that, did the the teacher try? Mm-hmm. And you told me in the beginning that you had to drop it totally. Can you drop it for me yeah. right now? Sure. Would you? Will you ask me a specific question so I can answer it? Sure. Otherwise, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so, 
how long were you in how long were you in classes before you started acting professionally? I would say I was in class probably about well my my program here was two years. So I graduated back in oh nine. Okay. And then I started working straight from there. Although I had done a few things back in London, but that was kind of my first experience on this side of the Atlantic. Okay. So can I ask you a question? How hard is it to do that? Or do you have to just slow it's yourself that, down? It's not that hard. It depends how often I've been doing it. Okay. So it's been a little while since I've done it. I mean, I've got an audition tomorrow morning and I have to be American for that. So that was very useful. But it takes, I can do it without thinking. I actually had an odd experience not long after I graduated where I was in um, an off-Broadway off, off play. And it was like a short play, 24-hour competition. And the playwrights were assigned an idea and they, they wrote it and we had 24 hours to, to learn it and perform it. And the one I was assigned was that I had to be an undercover cop and so for the first half of the show, I had to be American. And in the second half of the show, I had to reveal that I was British. Ah. Um, it was a very silly little comedy. It was a fun 10-minute play. And we had our read-through with the whole cast of all the other short plays. And after the read-through, I had someone come up to me and say, another cast member, and say, uh, that was, yeah, you were really good. You just need to work on your British accent. <laughs> and that's the funniest thing, is that it's all just so... Whatever people assume about you, they'll pick other things apart. So I used to go into auditions and pretend I was American from the beginning. And then people would phone me and offer me the job. This happened one time. And the guy was like, why didn't you tell me you were British? I would have conducted the audition completely differently. I was like, you're calling to give me the job. So I don't understand why. What would have well, been different? Well, that is actually, that is actually um, you, you've given me a really good question. Because I would have never thought of that. That you're going in doing an mm -hmm. audition. And I wonder if they look, they, they would have to look at you differently if you would come in as you with a British accent and then you would lose it for the audition. Or if you would come in without the accent, would they look at you differently? Because in my mind, I think you'd be better off coming in without the accent to begin with because they have no frame of reference with you. Right. So it's, that's what it's tough. It can go either way. And kind of, I've, I've I played around with seeing which one works best. If I go in with, with an American accent, I get kind of the benefit of them not not looking for flaws in my accent, okay. not looking for me to make mistakes, even subconsciously. But the benefit of going in as myself, I, there's a chance I'll be impressed if it goes well. Maybe they won't look at the look for the mistakes. Maybe they'll be pleasantly surprised. Okay. But also, I'm I'm not big on lying, and so it feels like a lie to you. go in and and have this accent and I, then I can't relax and be myself because so I have to think what's more valuable being authentic right. and making a real connection with someone in the audition room and then having fun with them and then hopefully giving them a pleasant surprise or trying to kind of avoid criticism and then maybe feeling stiff and distant and, and not having that same connection and I usually tend towards being myself or it's a personal choice that people make. So when you audition how many, I mean, do you do multiple auditions a week or do you do one every so often or how, how do you do the audition process? It really depends. First kind of what category of audition they are and um, week to week it changes. So okay. I have a great voiceover agent and a great commercial agent. So I've already had nine, I've recorded my 10th voiceover audition in 2020 
after this interview okay. or tomorrow. Um, so that's pretty great, considering the first week was already a week off. Like right. the, the office didn't open back up until the fifth. So that's pretty cool. Um, and, and those kind of come in waves. And they're a lot of fun. I love doing voiceover work. And then other theatre and film I either get asked to do by colleagues and friends that I know get recommended for jobs or I submit for myself okay and so they it also fluctuates so tomorrow's my first theater audition of the year um but sometimes there'll be periods of time where you get like four in a week and sometimes it's a few weeks in between them um one thing I noticed and you said this also before we went on um that you you were actually you started singing before you started acting I did I actually started singing before I started talking oh really the family folklore <laughs> yeah probably not very well at that age <laughs> but um yeah i kind of had dreams of being a pop star singing made me feel uh free i noticed that i did it when i was happiest and when i was saddest okay. actually it's still the case if i'm feeling super sad or super happy that's my go-to emotional release for some reason and so i started doing that and i was in a few i was in choirs at school and then i started training classically at school and um, i actually had a, a teacher try and convince me to go into opera which was very flattering, but the amount of work required to follow uh, a kind of a, an area of music that I wasn't as passionate about as other areas didn't appeal to me. And I thought if I was going to do a very hard career, I might as well be super, super excited about it. Um, but I, it led me to musical theatre. And, and not just because of that, but alongside that, I started acting. And, and that's kind of how it started to snowball. And now I focus more on acting than I do on musical theater, but I still love it. Now, in your... jump at the chance to do it. At, on your website, you have a, a basically a demo reel for the, some of the things mm -hmm. that you sang. And, of course, the British accent is gone. But there is one piece that you do, and it's um, a musical theater reel that you did. And you sang a song, and I played it before I went on. And my son, who is a musical theater major in college right now, stopped in the room and goes, I know that song. And he started singing it with you. It's the one dealing with, I hate you. And I want to see you dead. Oh yeah. It's from the show edges. My son was yes, in is. the show edges last year. And that is one of my no most, way. yes. And he goes, and he was, and you were singing it and he was singing it right with you. And it was hilarious to listen to because I'm going, wait a minute. He knows who I'm know at least an idea of who I'm talking to tonight. So, but yeah so funny that's a great song oh it is it's fantastic well, my favorite part is the warm <laughs> bath with the toaster is my favorite part but anyhow um if you oh, yeah. if you talk to new people that are in their in their early 20s and they're going into the field of acting and they're in education right now getting that degree what advice do you have for them oh that's a great question i think the advice i wish i had known is that, that rather than trying to fit into to other people's categories of you or trying to stretch yourself and kind of prove that you can, I can play this or I can play that, is to really dig into who you are okay, and, and kind of lead into that. Because, you know, I always use this example. There's no realm in which at any age I'm going to be playing a damsel in distress and he's rescuing from a tower. That's just not the vibe I give. I'll probably be the person scaling the towel, tower with the prince to try and save her. And that's, it's kind of finding out who, who your 
how you're read when you walk into a room and and running with that and embracing all the weirdness rather than following the rules of like, well, my headshot has to be has to be wearing a college shirt in one so that people can see me as a teacher. I mean, lean into whatever is authentic to you. And a lot of that, I uh, follow the work of Bonnie Gillespie, who is a casting director in LA, but also does a lot of work kind of helping actors uh, in managing their careers. She has a great book called Self-Management for Actors and has courses online and, and free information online. And she's someone who uh, kind of helps give structure to these ideas and looking at the data of how you can be cast and how you have been cast and and how you're perceived. And I, and I wish I had known that rather than trying to pretend to be something that I wasn't or convince people that I would make a really great like young mum character when that wasn't how I was being read. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, the other thing you're doing too, which I, I think it's very interesting that um, a lot of actors and actresses are doing this. You're doing vo- voiceover work. And when, oh, yeah. when you do voiceover work, is it all done for the United States or is it done for worldwide? Um, it depends what the project is. So the current, uh, I have a, a national commercial running in the UK at the moment. Um, and I have actually been the voice of that brand for, for almost two years now. So that's a lot of fun. But a lot of the work I do um, or the work I audition for is for the state. So I, okay. I've done, I've got an animated series that's going to come out online or that I'm one of the voices on it at the end of February. Um, still a British character. And voiceover is one of those areas where I don't tend to lose my accent. I use it to my advantage. Okay. I was just going to ask you that if they would rather have you without it. Um, so the animated series you're doing, what's it about? Oh, it's so much fun. So the animated series is called The Jeweler's Daughter and the Calliope Moonstone. It's written by uh, this great guy called George Franco and is animated by Nina Vasquez. And it's set in 14th century England and it's following... Um, a jeweler's daughter's quest to steal back a stolen heirloom. Okay. And I get to play the evil queen. Ah. So what does an evil mm-hmm. queen sound like from the 14th century? Apparently she's British. <laughs> <laughs> well, The evil characters are always British. Always. And that's fair. If you look on, if you look on a lot of animated series, it's a lot of mean Brits. I never realized and, and that. You're right. On film and TV. You're yeah. right. It's fine. I'll lean into that. Um, yeah so apart from being British she's quite she's very sinister okay cold uh, with a with a very strong temper that flares up okay Um, yeah so do you like doing voiceover work does it give you a little bit more freedom because you're you can focus on what you sound like instead of how you're portraying yourself yeah, in some ways, that's a real, that's really liberating, that you, it removes one layer of things you have to be concerned with, right? I just have to, to focus on putting the, the energy and, and the emotion into the voice, and that's a lot of fun. Even with commercial copy, I really enjoy it. I'm sure I look like a lunatic in the booth, because I'm always gesturing <laughs> and doing weird stuff. Well, but no one can see it apart from the uh, engineer, and that's great. Uh, um, I've talked. I've talked to other voiceover artists before. Um, one has done uh, children's cartoons, 
and the other actually both have and some has done some work with Disney um, on their video games and the one thing I asked them and I'm going to ask you this when you're recording a lot of the stuff you do you're recording by yourself correct you're not bouncing it off anyone else right how hard is that yeah I'm not that is that is a little weird and 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 the the kind of challenge is to not get stuck into a vocal rhythm or kind of pattern. And usually, especially I was trained in, in the Meisner technique, which is all about reacting off your partner. And if you don't have that person to bounce it off, it can get, you know, I get worried about getting stuck in right. one way of saying it. But you have the freedom to play around. So as long as you keep that in mind, and it is definitely one of the challenges of it, but but it can be combated. But it, it's always it's always more fun to play with someone else. Well, I just found out, this is a little bit off subject, I found out today that there are people actually doing interviews where the interviewer is doing all the questions up front, sending it to the interviewee, having the interviewee do answer the questions, then send the file back, and they add it together. And I'm going, how is that going wow. to work? I mean, yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years on traditional radio and online. And I mean, I think I'm pretty good, but I can't imagine trying to do that because I can't work off something very, very flat. At least you, I can work off your reaction. I can work off what you're saying. I can think of what I'm going to say next. Not like I'm going to be spotlighted with it at the last moment. So yeah, I can't imagine being able to work by yourself yeah. and yet having to sound like you're talking to somebody. Yeah, it can be challenging. It's funny with those interviews. I would imagine you kind of lose the opportunity for great off-the-cuff stories and comments. And oh, exactly. Some of the juice of it all. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think it's very, very interesting that that you're able to do that. I think that's that has to be a strong talent to be able to do something like that because you have to know where it's going next. Now, the other thing I'm going to ask you about this is when you do the voiceover and you're doing the character say of the evil witch and you're working against the jeweler's daughter do you do they tell you okay the jeweler daughter is coming at you like this this is what she's going to sound like this is what her dialogue is do you have an understanding of what she's going to say even though you can't hear it yeah well the way we did it with this with this web series is we actually had a, a table read and a couple of rehearsals okay which was great and then we all went to the studio together so although we didn't interact in the studio, everyone was there. Okay. And um, I actually re recorded first, so I didn't get to hear everyone's lines. But we had we had worked it through as actors, so it wasn't like I know you know with big you know A list actors when they go into maybe Disney or a Pixar or some kind of movie that's animated. I know they can do the whole thing without ever meeting. Right. That wasn't what we did on this project at all. So we had the benefit of of some of those connections and hearing it out loud. Interesting. Um, so in some of the voiceover work you've done for commercials, has there ever been anything that you had to say that you felt uncomfortable saying? Oh, no, not yet. Not yet, but not on a job that I've done. I, I Apart from being um, evil, I guess, my voice also <laughs> sounds like I'm uh, kind of science or medical. Yes, it does. Based. So, so which works great. So, so far, I haven't had to say anything that I didn't uh, agree with. Have Although you, that, that's an interesting challenge. Have you ever had to sell a product that you didn't like or didn't agree with? 
No, I did have to. I did have an audition for for a commercial, an on-camera commercial for a product that I really, really couldn't stand by, and the commercial itself made me very uncomfortable. And I remember I got sent it by by a, a different manager that I used to have, and this manager had a very strict policy on not allowing you to miss any audition, so I didn't feel like I had the right to to turn it down. And I recorded this self-tape that made me very uncomfortable and I sent it to the manager and I said to them you know in the email if you could not submit this uh, until I've spoken to you that would be really great I just want to have a chat with you right and I ended up calling them and they hadn't read the email and they'd already forwarded it to casting which was very um, unfortunate and I just had to end up you know just it didn't sit well with me I couldn't stand by the product It, it, it went against a lot of values that I stood for, did the, and so I asked. I ended up asking them to withdraw it. Did were you offered the job, or it was just to have them listen to the interview or the the uh, submission? Uh, I it was just to have them see the submission, but okay. I asked them to retract it before that stage. Okay, because I didn't even want my name kind of floating around it. Because I think that would have been awkward if you would have done that. They didn't get the information in time. You then you would have been offered the job to do it. That would have been awkward. Yeah, that would have been really bad. Yeah, no. I asked for it to be retracted actually as soon as it was sent. Okay. Now, you I, just, s- I tried to, yeah. You said that after this tonight or tomorrow morning, you have another one that you have to do. What does it entail to do something like that? Well, um, the the previous one that I just talked about was an on-camera one. Yeah. So then I have to set up my little tripod and oh. I have a light system that I have and and, and do that at home. This voiceover one for tomorrow, I make a fun little studio under the duvet on my bed. <laughs> and I <laughs> kind of try and pick a time where the traffic outside isn't too loud, so okay. either very late at night or early in the morning, and uh, just read it. And those can be challenging as well, because again, I don't have, when I go into a booth and I audition with a casting director, I can get feedback. Right. Uh, but, you know, I can drive myself crazy sitting here reading a you know, commercial copy 17 times and deciding whether I sound authentic or not or whether I followed whatever the brief is. So, uh, yeah, I try not to spend too much time, but I do live in a a duvet cave that I make. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying because I can do something um, the first time and go, you know what, I can do it better. And and 14 takes later, it finally sounds the same way it did on the first one. I'm going, I should have just used the Mm -hmm. first one. Um, I think it's very interesting. You say that you hide under your duvet <laughs> to be able to do that. But the funny thing is a lot of people do that because it, 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 it does the sound doesn't bounce because you're protecting it. And it's, it's very interesting. Another thing, if you have a car, I found this out the other day is that would make a nice recording studio too, that you can sit in your car windows rolled up and you could do the same thing. Of course, huh. the engine can't be running, but it works pretty much the same way. Oh, that's a good thing, too. I don't have a car, but I have friends with cars, uh, so I can borrow theirs. But the duvet thing, I think after a while, would get very hot and very suffocating. It, it does. It does. But that helps make the tapes quick. <laughs> then you really want to just get through that copy that, <laughs> and either go back to sleep or get on with your day. Okay, well, that, that makes sense then. Um, we're going to step away for a brief moment here. You're listening to Online with Bill Alexander here at italknet.com and also on WMCK.FM in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with Anna Frankel Duval in just a moment here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. 
Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. Hi, I'm back with Anna Frankel Duvall here on Online with yours truly, Bill Alexander, here on WMCK.FM and also at italknet.com. Now, Anna, one thing I want to talk about is not only are you an actress, you're a voiceover artist, and you're a singer, you're also a writer? Yeah, a little bit. I write from time to time. And you put together a movie called If Only. Yes, in 2017. Can you give me a little um, synopsis of what If Only is about? Sure. It's not a very uplifting synopsis, I'll be honest with you. Um, It's the story of three adult siblings coming to grips with their mother's imminent death. And uh, we watch them spend their last day together as a family. Okay. How each of them deals with the situation. And this film, um, you were nominated for Best Acting? I was. I was uh, nominated for Best Actress in the Kew Gardens Festival of Cinema, um, which was wonderful. And we've had our director, Sarah Wharton, has been nominated and has won for Best Director uh, in a different festival. Yeah. And we've been nominated for uh, Best Cinematography. We've had a good little run in in the festival circuit. So do you like doing these types of short films or are you hoping this is going to step into something a little bit, uh, a traditional long, full-length film? This film itself was really personal. So I wrote it after my mom died back in 2012. Okay. Um, and I had, later on I was part of a, of a community of artists and there was a short film challenge. And one day I had this idea of writing this short film. And I'm, I'm not the kind of person who kind of sits down and makes themselves write every day. But I write, if I have an idea that can't be stopped, that's when it comes out. And so I, I was at a film screening the night before. I wrote it the next day. I sat down, spent seven hours writing the first draft of the script. And it, and it kind of poured out of me. So this particular film was personal and it was a story I wanted to tell. And, and I, it wasn't to be expanded. In the future, I would love to do things that are, kind of length here. I've written a pilot with a with actually the same director uh, who's a very good friend of mine um, a while ago and we were thinking about turning that into a series and then I'm writing another series with another friend. So I have hopes of longer stories being told in various forms, but this one was just a moment in time and it was kind of part of my grieving process. I, that's what I was going to ask you if that was your catharsis to be able to get it all out. Um, so do you, do you have um, a brother and a sister or were these characters um based in fiction um i just have one younger brother okay and 
And so I kind of extrapolated a little and added, I didn't want to make it completely autobiographical. So there are some things that have been changed, but basically it was, it's a story of how I wish I could have behaved when I was, when I was looking after my mom when she was sick. And probably a lot of things you wish you would have done differently than what you actually did. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is kind of my way of, of attempting to rectify it or admit that I, could have been better. Now, has your father seen it? He has seen it. And he did he it. did he realize it was somewhat self biographical? Uh, he did. It was an interesting process because I had actually I'd written the script and I'd sent it both to, to my father and my brother to look at, and then I realized that that and nothing against them as individuals who are both they're both great writers. And, and wonderful editors and people to bounce ideas off. And I realized this story was so personal to each of us that they were not the right audience to give feedback. Oh, so well, I kind that's of, true, yeah. Although my, my father gave me, a, inspired the ending of the, of the film, which was very useful. But there were some other, you know, people, it's a very touchy subject. Uh-huh. People obviously have a lot of emotion about it. And they, and they weren't, however well-meaning they were, we were all too close to that topic to all have opinions. So I learned quickly they would be great for feedback for other projects, but this one wasn't ideal. Um, um, but they they enjoyed the film. Oh, enjoyed is a funny word, but they, they appreciated the film once it was finished. What I thought was interesting and what actually drew me to contact you about being the program was that film because this past year, my father-in-law passed away and my wife, her sister, and her brother were dealing with his death and I was a, a, a spectator on the outside watching them and I could see some resemblance in what you were doing on film and what they were doing in real life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think people fall into, into roles and people cope with things so differently. And, and it's kind of often can be surprising when you're, you're so close and you've grown up in often a very similar way. Not all siblings grow up the same, but you know, a lot of us grow up like in the same house with the same parents, having what we think are the same experiences. And then we react so very differently to something that happens either suddenly or not suddenly that, that can kind of take, can take everyone aback. Um, and there's a big age difference between my brother and I, and I'm sure that played a part in it, but it, it was a very surprise. It's a surprising way to learn new things about people you're, Close to. Interesting. Um, so let's move up to 2019 and the film um, that is The Resistance. And on yes. on the website for Spotlight PR Company, there is a photograph of you with a, I guess it is a white skirt and a black hoodie that said "badass <laughs> feminist." If that That's doesn't tell me, movie. if that doesn't tell me what the movie's all about. I'm totally missing it. <laughs> that, what's so funny is that is just my own personal hoodie and my own photo. It does represent the film very well. That's just, <laughs> yeah, that's just me. Um, but the film was written by Lenore Marks, who also stars in it and directed by a wonderful director called Natasha Straley. And we had a, a very female heavy cast and crew, which was a super cool experience to be part of. Um, and the story of the resistance is kind of set in the not too distant future, although it's it's like a rebellion in the in a dystopian near future. And uh, it's three 
well, two women, three women kind of fighting uh, what has become a, a government that doesn't value uh, women in the same way as we hope they would or okay. do. Um, yeah, it's, now known as a, it's a totalitarian authority that's known as the regime republic, and so we form a resistance against them. Now, when I when I uh, when I first off when I saw that it just jumped out at me, but I'm I'm going on reading through the bio that they have here, and it says that you are a proud feminist. Yeah. Do you feel in 2020 feminists are getting a bad name? Because when I think of feminist, I think of the feminists in the 1970s and 80s, and I know there's a whole total different reaction to feminists today, even though they're the same the same basic principle, but it's looked people look at them differently in 2020. Oh, I think that's so interesting, and I think there are, there are many reasons why. I think one of them is uh, feminism in 2020. We still have a very long way to go. Oh, Feminism definitely. is not very inclusive. It's not intersectional. We don't always include trans and non-binary people. Uh, you know, there is there is a section of feminism that is just kind of white women not being open and inclusive to everyone. And okay. that's a real problem. And so I think that uh, is a very real thing that needs to be fixed. I also think that and it's hard to find a delicate way to say it. Maybe I might be indelicate. Um, you know, I think uh, the patriarchy and kind of, in addition to that, male egos are feeling damaged and and there's a lot of fear around the idea of feminism. As though uh, people, are, I think some men or people who identify as male can be feeling, can, can feel under attack with the idea of feminism. And I think that can leave a bad taste in people's mouths, even though the definition of feminism is just really just equality for everyone right. of any gender. Um, but I think with with everything, with the brave people have come forward and Me Too and all these other things that are happening, uh, I think it can feel a little bit scary to be in this new terrain, to be on the other side of it, for people to not know you know, things that they've been doing for a long time may no longer be acceptable or may have never been acceptable, but no one has been able to voice their discomfort or fear around those topics or, or behaviors. And then, you know, it, it feels, everything feels a little bit fragile and dangerous. And I think we need to kind of navigate and find a, a middle ground that doesn't feel dangerous to either side or any of the sides. When you go into audition and say that the the people auditioning you know that you're a feminist, does that work for you or against you? Oh, I would assume it depends on the room. Okay. And it kind of goes back to that being authentic thing, you know? And and if I walk into a room where being a feminist is going to be held against me... You don't do it. I, I'm not sure that's a project that I'm going to be well-suited for. I'm sure there's going to be someone else who will do that job better than me. But... Because my question is, yeah. you have PR out there now saying that you're a feminist. Do these directors and these people that do the audition, do they read your stuff on hand? Or is it just you're going going into them and they're just looking at you blindly and have no idea who you are? I, I, I don't know. It depends really on the project. Okay. And depends on the, uh, again, it depends on the people. And, and I wouldn't put anything out there that I wasn't proud to stand behind. Okay. So, 
you know, if, if someone does the research on me and finds out I'm a feminist, they wouldn't have to look very far, to be honest. I'm probably wearing it on a necklace when I walk into the room or I probably, or that it's on my Instagram, it's on my website and it's on my sweatshirt. It, it's probably not a shock to anyone. Because I, w- I was just, just curious about that because I know there's people out there that, that say they're a feminist because they're trying to get the shock and awe out of it. And there are, there are, there are the one like you who stand behind it and you're trying to educate people about what it means. And I'm just wondering if that, if the ones that are saying it in name only are actually hurting you in some way because of that feminist stereotype. Well, that's an interesting, an interesting thing, but another, you know, part of feminism is, is accepting that there are many different types of feminists. Okay. And uh, and so there's not one right way to be a feminist. And it would be wrong of me to tell another woman or person, because anyone could be a feminist, right. to tell them how to do it. If, look, no, I don't think anyone should do anything they don't believe in. But that's just, I find life easier if I do things I believe in. Also, my memory is too bad to lie. So it, it would work against me. But, um, you know, you can do any job and be a feminist. Right. You can decide you want to dedicate your life to raising your children and be a feminist and be wonderful at that job, and it doesn't damage anything to anyone. Same with being a stripper. Like, there is no... That from, I think it's a very important thing that there is no right way to be a feminist as long as we're trying to be as inclusive and kind and generous as possible. Okay. And that, and that again, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you're one of the very few people that have explained it in a way that it's very inclusive, that it's not trying to pit one side against another side. You're very inclusive in the way you explain it. Oh, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I think it's we're not fighting against anything. We're fighting well, we're not fighting against people. We're fighting for something. Right, and I mean, I've like I said, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've talked to quite a few people that said they were. And in some ways, I consider that I am because uh, I, I believe that everybody should be considered equally across the playing field, no matter what sex or orientation or whatever it is. So, again, I, I, I yeah. put myself in that category. Um, Absolutely. And I think a lot of people do, but some people are afraid to say it because they're afraid of the negative connotation, which, again, the media has made in some ways a negative connotation towards that term. Um, they they have. You just got to decide what you want to fight for. There are some things that are worth, you know, the negative connotations that might come back at you if you really believe in them. So with with everything you've done, we've talked about your acting, we've talked about your singing, we talked about your voiceover. What else do you see yourself doing in the next five years that may not be on what we talked about so far? Oh, that's a great question. Um. I would probably like to continue writing and making my own work and, and exploring that and going into producing my own work as well. We have a lot of amazing uh, kind of female and of all genders, but, you know, female showrunners and writers like, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Lena Dunham, the whole list of yeah. Issa Rae, people who like make their own work and, and, produce it and tell these stories that haven't been told so in terms of work i'd love to be doing that i'd love to carry on 
kind of telling stories that that tell the truths that other people feel but don't want to say. That's the kind of work I find really exciting. Uh, but outside of work, I don't know. In the next five years, I'm sure I'll still be in New York because I'm a little bit obsessed with the city. Okay. Um, <laughs> completely obsessed, I'll be honest. And I love it. And I don't know, maybe starting a family, maybe not. I, I don't see myself leaving this industry. Okay. So the kind of my answers all go there. And and that's basically where I was, was hoping you'd go with that. Because I think from talking to you for the last 45 minutes, I'm hearing that you've branched out in enough areas in the industry that you could probably do one of them and do it comfortably and do it well enough that you can make a career out of it instead of dabbling all the different ones. Yeah, but they're all so much fun. It's fun to choose. <laughs> well, that's true too, I um, guess. Yeah. And, and I mean, my heart has always been in theater. Right. I'm not, I don't write plays, but theater I find the most fun to do. Just because you, you make those real connections with people. You're in the room, you're developing, you feel like you're building things uh, kind of in more of a community. And that's not to say that communities don't exist in other projects, I just think you're further removed from them. Um, and there's a real magic that happens when you're on stage and there's an audience that changes every night and the energy that exists and and, some, and just magical things can happen when mistakes are made or someone reacts to something differently than they did the night before and, and there's just so much room for growth and play and discussion that comes from that, So, do, um, which do I you, love. Do you enjoy musical theater better than... Uh, standard theater, or is it an equal love between the two? No, I, I would I would say I used to, but actually I think straight theater is where where the stories that I get really excited about telling are currently being told. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I see it going. Because I, I think it's interesting because right now there's a slight resurgence of musical theater again. And it's it's because I like musical theater. It's nice to see that. And um, I was just curious. Now, some of the plays that you have been in, what are your favorites? Oh, oh, there was a really fun one I did in London called How Will I Know, um, which was by a playwright called Herman Munoz, who's a Mexican uh, playwright who lives in London, uh, although he lived in Seattle for many years. And it was actually set in the U.S. So I got to be in London practicing my U.S. accent. <laughs> which was a lot of fun. And it was just a farce. It was very silly. It was about, um, it was before the Marriage Equality Act was passed. And so it was a gay couple and their best friend who I played. Uh, and I had married the boyfriend who was from another country in order to get him a green card. Okay. Uh, and then by mistake, slept with him. And so hilarity ensued. <laughs> and that kind of was a very silly... Play. We took it to the Brighton Fringe Festival. We did it twice we did it in London and in Brighton and had a blast doing it. It was a great team. Uh-huh. Um, and that was really fun. I've done some more of his work since then. I love working with Herman. He's great. Um, but there's been a whole a whole bunch of, of stuff. I've been really lucky to work with some really fun, interesting people and do a wide range of things. Because I find that interesting, especially when you have a vast background of work. And when you go in, say, for what you have to do, um, your next audition, that it's either for commercial work or for, for whatever, do they look at your stage work and, and, and look at that as, um, 
how do I want to put it as, as a, um, a resume builder to get you to the point where you are, or are they just more worried about just your commercial work and your film work? I think uh, for commercial work, a lot of that I think is, is what they look at is what you bring into the room, whether your looks right, and whether okay. you can improvise. Improvising is huge in commercial auditions at the moment, uh, which is a lot of fun. It's something I enjoy doing as well. So that's a great thing to be able to play with other people, especially if you go in and have to play you know, the partner of someone you met five minutes before. There's a lot of room for fun and exploration. But I think looking at the resume for commercial work and for voiceover work, what they're really looking for is conflict. Like, have you done anything in the same field that means you okay. wouldn't be allowed to do this project? And um, and to show that you've done professional work. But on my resume, I don't list. On my, the resume, I, I send out to submission, for submissions for jobs. I don't list all my commercials. and I don't list all my voiceover work. You just say conflict upon request. Okay. And people can, can ask if there's, a, you know, if there's something they're worried about in that area. But other than that, I think people like to see that you have solid training. Right and experience and often that you kind of use your resume or I try and use my resume to show people how I'd like to be cast in the future which is something else that Bonnie Gillespie taught me but you know okay so I'm someone if I if I go back to that advice I would give someone in their early 20s in, about leaning into yourself okay so I played someone who's a feminist resistance fighter I played like a kind of uh, type a hard-nosed uh, person caring for a sick parent I played, you know, a, a bitchy waitress or hostess in a, in a kind of flailing restaurant. That kind of gives you an idea of the types of roles I would be good at in the future. An evil queen, you know, it, it all kind of <laughs> starts shaping. I'm not making myself sound very nice, I'll be honest. But, um, well, from a bitchy waitress to an evil queen, I mean, you, you've done the whole spectrum right there. Oh, Yeah. I hope that's not the sense that I'm giving you on this call. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. I just think I just think it's interesting. I don't know. I can understand a and I'm and I'm going to throw this out there. I can I can see a, a a bitchy waitress from the United States, long day. But I don't know if I've ever seen anybody play a bitchy waitress from London. Because I don't think I've yeah. ever seen someone that way. So would there be a difference in the way you portray that? Oh, I'm sure that the kind of uh, type of bitchiness could vary. Okay. Um, yeah, I think uh, a British, a British bitchy anyone would be a little bit colder, a bit more snide, uh, kind of cutting, just in terms of our humour, and that that's how we do bitchy, I guess. <laughs> I would imagine an American <laughs> bitchy version would be like uh, more. A bit clearer in the bitchiness. You don't have to work so hard to see it. Okay. It's right there. So in other words, yeah. the, the American would wear it on their sleeve. It's very emotional. However, the Brit would keep it internal and then just it would come out every once in a while. I think, I mean, the bitch might, oh, no, the bitch, the bitch <laughs> might keep it consistent. Oh, dear. I'm never going to be allowed back home again. Um, the the Brit might, it will probably be consistent. Okay. But, um, but, but kind of underhanded okay yeah okay i mean that makes a lot of sense not that i mean meant to put you on the spot and uh to do that but again coming from your perspective of uh of coming in from 
um, London and coming into the United States, you've experienced both sides of that coin. Now, the one last thing I'm going to ask you before I let you go is when you told your parents that you wanted to go into acting and you left home from London at the age of 19 to move to New York to get training, what did they say? Well, I think... My, look, everyone in my family, except for me, is a journalist, and they've all been freelance at various points. So okay. they they understood it. I think they had the natural fear of, you know, wouldn't you like to go to university first and then see if you still want to do the acting thing, uh, which came from a place of love. And luckily, I'm very determined and ignored them. Uh, but they've always been very supportive. I think in terms of coming to a different country, um, my mum at the time was, she was just thrilled both of them have lived in multiple countries and have had many adventures and they encouraged me to do that rather than kind of stick stick with what i know okay everyone in my family has moved around and i think to have a full and varied life as long as you're working hard for what you want they will support it they didn't want me to come over here and then just kind of drink my life away <laughs> or like party you know right. party all the time and not put in the work that i need for my for my career so you know, my family wish I'd have closer to home sometimes. Maybe uh, after the holidays, they're fine with the distance. <laughs> they, you know, well, they were you, very, very supportive. Which I understand. And then the other thing is, what was that one role you had that your parents saw that they finally knew that, hey, you were going to be able to do this and you were going to be able to take care of yourself? Oh, goodness. I That is a question for them. Um my mum actually died before she saw me act in anything, which okay. was a real, uh, which is a, a shame. The way my, my, she came over for my graduation from drama school, but the way my graduation play was done, that uh, was weeks before she arrived. So unfortunately, she never saw it. And uh-huh. um, I don't know. I think once I could say to my dad, it wasn't about talent, and because he, you know, he believes in me, it, it's more about. Uh, showing that I could I could earn money from it. Okay, and that's basically well what I that's, yeah. that's what I meant because I know that's one thing that a parent is worried about. I mean, it's great that yeah. the child is doing what they want to do, but can they survive on what they're doing? Yeah, and I understand that fear. Um, and you know, I, if I have kids, that's probably something I will also worry about for them. But. Um, once, you know, it takes a while to for momentum to build in a career, and even then it's not linear. There will be ups and downs. There will right. be times when there's plenty of work, and there'll be times when there's none. Hopefully when there's plenty of work, you're clever and you put some things away for savings, and, and you know, and then just keep working and creating opportunities for yourself and, and knowing that things will pan out in the future. And, and you know, you just have to really put in the work and believe that it's going to pay off. Otherwise, what's the point? And what was your backup plan that you had if it didn't work out? Didn't have one. Didn't you really? No backup plan. That's yeah. probably better that you didn't because just, you knew you had to make it work. Yeah. I mean, there's a, one of my favorite quotes that Will Smith, I assume it's, I'm going to attribute it to him. I heard him say it. But he said something along the lines of, um, there's no need for a plan B. If you have a plan B, it just distracts from plan A. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Anna, it's hard to believe we've talked for almost an hour. I appreciate it. I've had a great time this tonight. 
And I would love to have you back on the program again in the near future. If there's anything else that you're going to be putting out there, anything else you want to explain to my audience, the door is always open. You're welcome whenever you'd like to come back. And I really appreciate you taking time this evening to be a part of the program. Thank you so much. I've had a blast. I would love to come back. Yeah. It's been and, a real pleasure. And the next time I'll explain to you who Mr. Rogers is and why he's so big in American culture. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know it, it's, it's a, and I'll use a term that you're familiar with. It's, it's not everybody's cup of tea. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's very difficult for people to understand why he is so big in the United States. But again, one of these days, I'll, uh, I'll sit down with you and we can talk about it. So, Anna, thank you very much for joining Perfect. me. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck in everything you do. Thank you so much, Bill. It's Th- been so much fun. Thank you very much, Anna. Uh, Frankel Duval here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I had a great time doing it, and I'm glad you could be a part of the program, too. You're listening to Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also at italknet.com. Everybody, I'm out of here. You have a great night, and we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on zillowrentals.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. 
Switch to Metro by T-Mobile and save more. Get the new iPhone SE now with 5G at the lowest price in prepaid. Just $99.99. I post a lot. And thanks to the iPhone SE with 5G and advanced 4K camera, I'm snapping and sharing while my followers are smashing the like button. Switch and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99. Only at Metro. Save more versus national prepaid brands. Limited time offer. In-store only. Price for 64 gigabyte model with eligible port. $60 plan and ID. See 5G device coverage and access details at MetroByTMobile.com.